0: Hi, this is Sean Perrin, and you're listening to episode 45 of the Clarinet Podcast, the show where I discuss all that's new and neat with clarinet with the neatest people in the industry. In today's episode, I speak with Wes Rice, who is the founder of Rice Clare Networks. We discuss maintenance tips that every clarinetist can use, his custom clarinet selection process, of course, many other aspects of his workshop, and of course, his line of barrels and bells, including the amazing industrial barrel that is actually a collaboration with a metal artist named Chris Bathgate. For more information about Wes, his products, and his company, please see these show notes for episode 45 at clarinet.com. The giveaway for today's episode, actually, we're going to have two lucky winners. One will receive a Rice Network's Delrin barrel, and the other will receive a standard wooden barrel. These barrels are valued at $150 US each, and thank you so, so much to Wes for such an incredible giveaway. If you'd like the chance to win these and other items mentioned on the podcast, be sure to go to clarinet.com and enter your email address in our email subscription box. This will also give you access to free content updates, special offers, coupons, and more. And now, I bring you Wes Rice of Rice Clare Networks after a brief message from our sponsor. Today's episode was brought to you by D'Addario Woodwinds. Sanding, shaping, balancing. For centuries, mastering your instrument meant mastering these crafts too. But now, D'Addario is refining craftsmanship for the 21st century by refining their reeds and mouthpieces with the world's most innovative techniques so you can spend less time sanding, shaping, and balancing, and more time perfecting your own craft. To learn more about the new era of craftsmanship from Dedario Woodwinds, visit didariocom slash woodwinds. So I'm here today with Wes Rice, who is the founder of Rice Clarinet Works. Wes, welcome to the Clarinet Podcast. Thanks for having me. So, your business, Rice Clarinet networks you offer clarinet selection services, repair, uh, you do instrument, uh, sorry, um, accessory manufacture for, for your own brand and other brands. It sounds like there's so much going on. Would you walk me through sort of what that's like for you? It must be incredibly busy at the office.
1: Yeah, it is, it is very busy. Um, so, kind of a normal day. We start at eight. Um, there's actually four of us daily in the shop, just doing kind of all aspects of clarinet things. So we start at eight. um, Every day we have kind of an overhaul or repair set up. So one of my employees, Bert, he's always doing what I call the day one of the overhauls, which means a disassembly, um, you know, cleaning, uh, adjusting keys, key fitting, uh, basically the works there. We also have uh, manufacturing, which uh, my employee Mike is doing um so he's overrunning the machines the lathe the milling machine things like that i'm on a daily basis doing overhauls so i'll be doing the reassembly so i'll get a clean clarinet from Bert, and i will basically put it all back together adjust ring heights the pads the seal uh, the feel of it everything like that um, so my employees stop at 4:45, but my day continues on quite a bit after that because there is so much to do and we're constantly developing new products. So uh, we've you know we've got barrels and bells are something that I'm trying to really get out there right now. But um, you know, really, um, it doesn't leave a whole lot of time for development, but that's something that I kind of do after everyone leaves. So it's you know, every day is kind of something different, and every day is um, pretty diverse and long, I would say.
0: <laughs> diverse and long, I like that. Yeah. You know, I do definitely want to get into your, your products and a little more about the um, repair business. But first, what was it that got you started with repair? Well, I grew up kind of always having
1: an entrepreneurial spirit, I would say. And so I was always doing little things to... I suppose avoid getting uh, some sort of job working for someone else. So I would mow lawns, uh, you know, even like sell golf balls at the golf course. So I always was doing little things to, you know, make an income. And when I got to college, um, I had already kind of been experimenting around just taking my instrument apart and cleaning it and replacing pads and things like that. So naturally i kind of offered that to some of my colleagues at, at the school at uh, at the peabody conservatory and um so they ended up you know bringing their instruments to me just little things you know pads here and there key bumpers tendon corks things like that so that's really how it got started i just started doing it on the side while i was in school and fast forward to when i graduated um, after i got my master's degree I was working with Con Selmer out in Indiana, but um, they kind of were in a process of downsizing, and so I got laid off. Well, that um, kind of left me with no work to do except the clarinet repair side of it, which I had kind of been building all along. But I kind of used that as a starting point to, to really dive into it full time and just really you know tackle clarinets all day every day so i really started advertising you know um on google really and and getting just overhauls and after i moved back uh, from indiana i ended up getting some equipment and i started making barrels and things like that so you know that was really the start of it and um from there it just kind of grew and grew organically you know more and more people started uh, seeking me out, and we started going to more of these trade shows, more of the events, um, such as Midwest, that I think uh, you're going to in a few weeks, hopefully.
0: Well, we'll um, see the Kickstarter campaign at the time of this recording is at 96%. So <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> well, I,
1: th- I, I think we'll prob- probably see you there at the- then, I suppose. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, that's that's really how it started. It just started with, with me doing uh, little repairs for my colleagues, and then it just kind of grew from there.
0: Wow, so you're completely self-taught then.
1: Yes, in terms of instrument repair, I, I am. Um, I learned a few little tips and tricks at Con at Selmer. Um, but yeah, I kind of naturally pick up on mechanical things. So, you know, just taking the clarinet apart myself and, and looking at how things function and how they work. And then also being a player, knowing how they should function in the end, um, that kind of allowed me to to teach myself to
0: do it. I think that's such an interesting point you raise, actually, kind of like knowing where it needs to be and then finding a way to get it to that point instead of sort of starting at the mechanical end. Um, What is different about you than, than other players, do you feel, as far as your desire to kind of just dig in there and try it? I mean, I know people who are literally scared to replace a pad.
1: Right. Well, I've never been scared of taking things apart. And, uh, (laughs) my parents can attest to that. I took (laughs) apart all kinds of things when I was younger, uh, TVs, VCRs, you know, all, all kinds of stuff. So when I got a clarinet, I, I, my first real clarinet, a buffet when I was in ninth grade, uh, my parents were horrified one day to come home and find me with it in pieces on the floor. But, um, I kind of naturally was never really scared to take things apart. Um, I knew that I wouldn't screw it up enough that I couldn't put it back together. So, um, you know, I do some various master classes here and there. And, you know, I, I do teach people to take apart their instruments and do cleanings and things like that. And, you know, some people are faster than others, but I've never really encountered anyone who damaged their clarinet taking it apart. So, I mean, I would encourage people to maybe seek out some YouTube videos. I, I think I'm sure there's something on that topic. Um, and if there's not, I'd be happy to make something if, if someone wants to get in touch with me, but you know, I would encourage anyone, t- uh, to take their, their clarinet apart and, you know, maybe just take it apart, put it back together or just take one key off, put it back together. And that's really a good starting point, I would say.
0: Well, you know, if you're really nervous about this, like I kind of was, I don't really know why. But what I ended up doing was buying a cheap clarinet on on Kijiji. Um, I guess that's you may not know what that is. That's like a Canadian version of Craigslist. Yeah. Um. And so I just bought a cheap clarinet on there and, and took it apart and got some cheap pads and stuff and started learning a little bit too. I I wouldn't say I'm anywhere near any sort of actual level, but <laughs> but it sure saved me the grief of oh my god, I just got this overhauled. I don't really want to disassemble my <laughs> four thousand sure, sure. dollar instrument or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure
1: anyone who has a three or four thousand dollar instrument also has like a hundred dollar Bundy sitting in their closet. So the only downside I would say to taking apart one of those is if you're replacing a pad, there's a lot of times it's actually harder to work on one of those student instruments than it mm-hmm. is a professional quality instrument because they're not manufactured with the same care. So I would say, you know, start with, with your old Bundy in the closet or whatever, whatever you've got. And once you get more comfortable, then switch to something a little nicer, something that uh, you didn't initially want to tackle.
0: So what is something that maybe every clarinet player should have in their bag then as far as a small toolkit or something to help them with minor repairs when they, when they can't come to someone like you for a full overhaul?
1: Sure. Well, if they're comfortable with replacing a pad, I think probably the best thing would be obviously a screwdriver, because you'll want to at least take the key off, get all the old glue out there. If let's, if let's say a pad falls off, or even if you just want to take out the old pad, it's a good idea to you know take the key off, get all the old glue out and clean it out. Um, sometimes the hinge rods or the pivots don't want to come out right away. And so a small pair of pliers is a really good idea um i like either needle nose Um, now this is not what i use but this is what i'd recommend for for people because they're cheap either a needle nose pair of pliers or what's called a chain nose pair of pliers Um, and they i found are the best uh, for keeping in your your clarinet case they're small they're easy to use they're not too expensive like some of the pliers that i use which are parallel pliers in case anyone does want to get something that's a little nicer Um, in addition to that, I'd say a lighter is a good idea. Um, you want to make sure the flame doesn't go too high. Uh, so maybe like a quarter inch flame. Um, and if, if you do need to to replace a pad, obviously you'll want to, um, have some glue as well. So I just use either hot glue sticks or I have some specialized pellets, but you know, obviously most people wouldn't have access to that. So even just a, a glue stick with, um, a razor blades. So you can cut it into small little, uh, wafers, I would say. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, maybe a few pads, uh, different sizes. Um, some websites allow you to get like a pad set. Um, music medic is a great place for that. They do sell pad sets. So even just having them around and, you know, even if you're not comfortable, um, maybe your stand partner knows a little bit more about it. So even just having some of those on hand is a really good idea. Um, Something that, that I find very often is that most people don't oil their clarin- or oil the keys of their clarinet very often. And so a nice um, little dropper bottle of key oil is a really good idea. Um, some Q-tips or cotton swabs, they're also a really good idea. Sometimes, you know, you can get some, I guess, dead skin and some things that build up in the tone holes. And so if you notice that, you know, before a performance or sometime important Um, and that can obviously affect the tuning of the instrument and the feel of it. So it's a good idea to just maybe dip one of those in water and, and clean out some of the open tone holes.
0: So is there a particular type of key oil you, you would suggest? I mean, it's funny because Peter Spriggs actually one of, I asked him what his pet peeves were, which I'm going to ask you as well. (laughs) And his, (laughs) his kind of was like, well, in a way he said it doesn't really matter because he always does overhauls. So he, he takes them from nothing and takes them to, to like new condition every time. And, so the maintenance doesn't concern him that much. But he said that the one thing that, you know, he really thinks people should do is, is oil their keys. So what type would you suggest?
1: Yeah, well, I definitely agree with him. And that's probably my biggest complaint. Although, it, you know, if people don't either uh, oil their keys, it does give me more business in the long run. So it's a yeah. it's, uh, it's a funny situation. But. Um, that, that's the one thing that I definitely see that most people don't do. And what I recommend is, uh, the oil from doctor's products. It's, I think it's called Mm Syntec. I haven't done like, uh, a real study or anything like that of the different oils, but I kind of just go off of what he says on his website. And that's that the oil actually bonds to the metal and that I think it was developed for the International Space Station or something interesting like that.
0: So it's good but, enough for your clarinet, basically.
1: <laughs> exactly, yeah. So <laughs> that's what I use. If, if someone doesn't want to spend the money on that, it is a little pricey, but it lasts forever. Um, but if you don't want to spend the money on that, I actually just, uh, before I bought this stuff, I used just some motor oil. Um, mm-hmm. So like some 30-weight, no detergent. That's what I used exclusively before this. But um you know, pretty much any oil is better than no oil. And I'd say if you're using something really nice that bonds to the metal, like the doctor's product stuff, you know, once every four to six months, something like that is is adequate. Whereas if you're using just motor oil or uh, clock oil or something like that, um, that's probably more like an every month or two month type thing. And, and it's really easy to do. Uh, you don't even have to take apart the clarinet. You just basically put a small drop, um, where the key actually meets the post and if it's dry inside the hinge rod um, it will wick in and that's all you have to do just depress your keys a few times and and it'll wick in there and and cover everything and protect your keys and we're basically just protecting against wear Um, a lot of the work that that we do in the overhaul is very extensive key fitting so that means just making sure that the hinge rod or the pivot exactly matches the key. And so if you go without putting oil on it, it will wear out the key. Kind of like if you have a car and you don't put oil in it, that's going to be pretty bad very quickly. So, you know, the same thing happens with clarinet. If, if, if you have a dry, two metal parts rubbing on each other, one is going to give and wear out. And so that's what we're just trying to prevent.
0: Well, it's funny you mentioned the uh, just the general motor oil. I actually use a mechanical gear oil and uh, I think I bought a thing about the size of a bottle of wine for like five bucks (laughs) about five years ago, and it's still 99% full. So you don't even need to use very much.
1: No, I mean, literally, it's it's just a drop at each point where the key meets the post. It's one drop. So, I mean, if you have even an ounce of key oil or motor oil, it's going to last you almost a lifetime, I would say.
0: Yeah, it's going to last forever. How do you feel about this sort of thing needing to be a part of clarinetist's formal uh, musical training and education even from the beginning.
1: Well, I feel that it's extremely important important. Um, and I find that it's not taught very often at some of these master classes that I do I, I find that you know no one has heard this stuff. no one has heard about oiling your keys. And I feel like especially if people are getting private instructions, that's something that, that their teachers should should tell them about.
0: Yeah, oftentimes their teacher didn't know, and the teacher before them didn't know, and it was always just, oh, take it to the repair shop type thing, but uh, <laughs> what's, what's a book you'd recommend for people to look into to to start their own sort of, um, I don't want to replace your business obviously, but there's a, there must be a way for people to do some of their own maintenance at home?
1: You know, honestly, I, I don't know of any. Um, I have one, I would say, I, I found one book in the library at West Virginia. Uh, where I got my master's degree, um, and I, I just copied a few pages here and there. And honestly, I don't even remember what it's called. I'm sure there are good books out there. Um, I just can't recommend any because I don't have
0: them. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's not many. I don't think. I don't think there are uh-huh. any books. But uh, maybe no, I should a- write one. <laughs> yeah. Well, there is a new one. Um, it's called the Clarinet Manual, and it's actually by that same company that does. Um all oh, the car manuals. I think it's called Hayes or, or Haynes, maybe. I'm just trying to remember the, the brand. Oh name. yeah, Haynes, yeah. Is it uh-huh. Haynes? Yeah. They just put out a clarinet and saxophone manual two years ago. Oh, com- that's interesting. Complete with <laughs> pictures. Yeah, I'll have to I'll have to send you a link to it. I uh-huh. haven't completely read my copy, um, so I can't really attest to what's in there, but but uh, you know, it is just something kind of interesting to, to skim through for sure. But um mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think it's something you're, you're totally you're totally right. I mean, this is something people should be more aware of and, and know how to take care of their their instrument the same as they might maintain their bicycle. I mean, it's not it's not something they should be really afraid of.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's as simple as just putting a drop of oil there. And, and honestly, that's most of the maintenance that you need to do um, as far as cleaning if someone is not comfortable taking the keys off you can at least clean the open holes with uh, as I said before the the cotton swab and some water I mean it's it's as easy as that and if you find that you're getting a lot of buildup and you're not comfortable taking your instrument apart um, you know if you have buildup in the open tone holes you can almost assume that you'll have some dirtiness and things like that inside the, the covered tone holes so maybe that's something that if you're not comfortable with, you can take it to a shop. But but certainly there are a lot of things that the average player can do um, to maintain their instrument. And honestly, it's a money saving thing. You know, if, if you're oiling your clarinet, if you're taking care of it, you're going to spend less money in the shop and you don't have to see people like me quite as often.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so how often should someone uh, come to see someone like you, though, if they're taking care of their instrument or I mean, if they're not? What's the general sort of recommendation for getting your clarinet? seriously maintained with an overhaul?
1: Well, with an overhaul, um, I always recommend if the clarinet has never been overhauled, there are so many things that we do that the factory just, they it wouldn't be economical for them to do, to go to the level that we do. So, you know, anyone who's serious at all, and that includes people of any age, you know, so from a middle school student who has you know like a decent clarinet um a buffet either intermediate or professional to you know anyone else who's serious about playing the instrument uh, they should definitely consider an overhaul because it will just get things right from the very beginning so in the overhaul we'll adjust things that the factory doesn't adjust like the ring heights uh we'll do a lot of spring tension work we'll do key fitting that is a lot more precise than they're able to do um, or want to do um and so after that it's actually pretty easy to maintain the clarinet because everything's brand new on it the pads that we use are actually you know we use cork and synthetic pads so they actually hold up a lot better than just your your standard felt double skin pads um, so after that i do recommend either sending it in or having uh, or doing a cleaning yourself every six months and of course that depends on how much you're actually playing the clarinet but um, that maintenance is really important, as we just talked about before. Um, but if you're properly maintaining the clarinet, I'd say maybe get an overhaul once every, let, let's say an average of five years, something like that. If you're playing it very often, let's say you don't keep up with the maintenance, maybe bump it up to around three. But you know, it's it really depends, and it's really an individual thing based on the instrument. Uh, the level of care that was taken, the player, how rough they are with the clarinet, things like that, which would determine how soon after that initial overhaul that they would need another one. Um, but as long as they keep up with the maintenance, then everything is pretty minimal after that point.
0: So as soon as you buy it, it seems a little bit backwards, but you should get it overhauled right away.
1: Yeah, it's really unfortunate. And <laughs> I I get a lot of odd looks from people when, when I say that people who, you know, are not in the professional clarinet realm, but you know, some, some parents that want to get their, their kids a really nice instrument. They look at me like I'm crazy, but you know, we just spend a lot of time doing things that just sometimes are not right from the factory. And, you know, even just, even just looking at it when the clarinet is brand new and going over some things, like a lot of times the instrument doesn't even fit together, believe it or not. Um, there's differences in humidity and temperature between, you know, let's say France for buffet and here. So. Even just having it looked at initially is very important, and that's one of the things that that we definitely do with every clarinet is we do kind of what I call just a, a professional setup, which is just kind of making sure things are right from the beginning. Um, so if someone doesn't want to get an overhaul right away, if they, you know, they just spent $3,000, $4,000, they don't want to spend the money to get an overhaul on top of that, you know, whether you buy from me or some other shop, you know, it's very important, uh, that that shop actually does a setup on the instrument and makes sure everything is at least mostly right. Uh, you can't get things perfect, but, you know, make sure they spend, you know, an hour or two or three hours just making sure things fit right. The spring tension is at least adequate. The rings are not, you know, uh, uneven and, um, uneven and high or low, things like that.
0: So this all ties in, actually, um, as far as the other aspect of your business, which is helping people select instruments. Um, And you actually, as you mentioned, you worked as a professional clarinet tester for Con Selmer. What Mm -hmm. what does that entail? What was that like? It was was
1: interesting. We um, worked on the Bliss clarinet. I don't know if you've heard of that. Yeah, absolutely. I I think they are still making it. But um, that was, um, it was interesting because every clarinet came in with different kind of i don't want to say problems but you know when you have a manufactured products i'm there to kind of find those problems so every single clarinet i had a procedure laid out where i would let's say rock every key back and forth to make sure they weren't wobbling i would check the seal i would check the spring tension i would eventually play it to make sure it played well and i would say that that helped me quite a bit in being able to select a buffet clarinets. So I'll, I'll go down to the warehouse in Jacksonville, or I'll meet up with my supplier somewhat locally and just try a bunch of instruments. Now, I don't go through and check every key with the buffet clarinets, because I know that I'm going to take every clarinet apart uh, when I get it back to the shop anyway. So what I look for, or what I rather what I listen for, is just a really great sound, a really nice resonant sound, something that uh, you take one clarinet, this clarinet that I would pick just requires less effort for the amount of sound that you get out out of it. And, mm. of course, I'd test things like tuning. Those were also things that I tested um, at Khan Selmer. Um, you know. And, of course, you want to look at the clarinet a little bit and make sure there's no glaring uh, deficiencies like some chips or things like that. I don't think I've never found anything like that. But, of course, there's a little bit of looking at the clarinet. But when I hand-select one, it's 99% just playing. How does it play? Is it play in tune? Things like that.
0: So the hand selection process, uh, it interests me because you mentioned a few things we should be looking for like the tuning and the ease of playing and, and all these things, but aren't they a rather personal process or do you sort of look at your job kind of like um, sort of weeding through the ones that, that maybe someone shouldn't consider and then still giving them the chance to pick for themselves?
1: Sure. So um, anyone who wants to purchase a clarinet from me, I say, come down to the shop if you want to. And at the shop, you know, we don't have a ton of instruments, but we have six or seven of what I would call the best of the best instruments. So this is after I've gone through, let's say, 60 to 70 clarinets. Usually I'll pick one out of 10. Um, So these clarinets that I'll have at the shop are, you know, pretty spectacular, at least in my eyes. I don't think I've ever had a customer come in and say, oh, I don't like, I don't like any of your clarinets. So I've always been, I've always had that in the back of my mind that, you know, maybe these clarinets I'm picking for people someone might not like, you know, someone might pick another one. Um, but I haven't found that to be true, at least for my customers, surprisingly. Um, I've found that you know, if I pick one and I say this is really a spectacular instrument and I have, uh, let's say, a professional come in and I say, hey, try this one, they almost always love it and they almost always agree with me 100%. So I don't know what that means, but <laughs> at, at least <laughs> – Let's say for the majority of people uh, and at least everyone that I've come into contact with, they tend to agree with, with my process and agree with the, the instruments that I've picked out.
0: Well, you know, things like intonation and making sure there's an ease of sound. I mean, those are things that everyone does want. So if you've done some of the legwork and then they can sort of make the final decision of which instrument's right for them, I think that's, that's great. Um, is there an extra cost to this service on top of your... There must be. No, no charge. Actually,
1: oh. um, I. So you know, you're saving course,
0: us sixty to seventy clarinets of trying, and then there's no extra charge for that.
1: No extra charge, and in fact, um, buffet does set a minimum price, and I charge the minimum price that they allow. Um, if shameless plug, but if anyone <laughs> is looking for an instrument right <laughs> now, uh, buffet is offering a $200 off special on R13 specifically. Um, but, uh, I do sell them at the lowest price that they allow and the, what I call the professional setup. I also include that for free. So, you know, I really want people to get the best clarinet possible. I don't want them to get the clarinet home and be like, Oh gosh, you know, this, this just isn't playing right. Which, um, you know, sometimes some of these stores they'll they'll just buy the clarinets, basically open the case and look at it and sell it to the customer. And it it does need some work initially. So, you know, I want to make the experience as painless as possible. So I weed out all the quote unquote bad clarinets, I suppose, uh, to, even though they're not. <laughs> you know, I'm just picking the best ones. Yeah. And of course I you know, provide a clarinet that is, you know, at least somewhat set up, um, professionally set up. So and then, of course, if it's, let's say, a professional and they want to get an overhaul right away, I'll even instead of doing my setup, I'll just say, hey, let's let's I'll give you a hundred dollars off the overhaul cost because I don't have to do the setup.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, that that's interesting, actually. And for any any students listening, um, this is one reason you might want to consider purchasing an instrument from um, someone like Wes or who you know, whoever's in your area or if you're in a different country, but look for someone who actually does the work and the professional setups and things because if you just go to the store and, and buy the one that came from the factory and sort of got jostled around on the plane and, you know, by bus or whatever for <laughs> and then sat on a shelf for six months and then finally got sold, it's not really gonna gonna play at the same level and it's gonna need this work anyways. So so it's just a, a chance to get something that's really, really top notch. So, um, before we move on completely from your repair business, I did want to ask you if you had any, any other pet peeves about what people do as far as, um, not maintaining their instruments properly.
1: Well, as a repairman, it is a little off-putting when we get a clarinet and it's, it smells bad and it's very dirty. And, you know, some of these clarinets are just because they've been sitting around in a closet for years and maybe some little mites have eaten some of the pads and things like that. Um, but you know, when you have a clarinet that's, that's being played daily and, um, it's someone's main clarinet, you know, it it does bug me a little bit when you get a clarinet that comes in that, that should be, you know, somewhat clean. Of course they're sending it in for a cleaning a lot of times. Um, but sometimes you'll get the really, really dirty ones. And, um, you know, of course it's their clarinet. They can do what they want with it. But, um, you know, if someone is, is sending in a dirty clarinet like that, you know, they're not properly maintaining it. So, uh, and again, of course it's their decision. If they don't want to maintain it, that's fine by me. I'll, I'll end up fixing it sooner. (laughs) But, but, uh, (laughs) um, you know, that is one of the things that, you know, I, I just, I know that they could be doing better and they could be saving themselves money and hassle in the long run.
0: What is the strangest repair job you've ever encountered?
1: Oh, interesting!
0: Um, a couple of years ago,
1: I had a set of Selmers. I think they were from the 1920s or 30s, and they were unplated keys. And the weird thing about them uh, was that they had plateau It was a plateau system clarinet. Um, for those of you who don't know what that is, that is instead of the open tone holes that what are called the chimneys, where you put your fingers normally. Uh, This actually had pads, kind of like a bass clarinet, so they were completely covered. Um, I haven't seen anything like that since, thankfully, (laughs) because they, I think, took about 70 to 80 hours each to overhaul. Yeah, it was a ridiculous job to do, one that I probably shouldn't have taken on, uh, probably wasn't worth it in the long run, but it was certainly interesting to see them, and I, I think they may have been kind of a one-of-a-kind thing, maybe some sort of experiment at Selmer, uh, but certainly the most interesting clarinets
0: uh, that, that I've ever seen come through the shop. You know, I've always thought that that should be a thing, though, but maybe that's why it's not, is because it's their real, not, not a treat to maintain, but for young students, I, th- I think it would be nice to have the, the pad covers um, kind of like they have on flutes for a little while, but maybe it doesn't work as well on clarinets.
1: Yeah, well, I, I, I agree in some aspects and in some I don't. Uh, it, on one hand, it's great to have the student learn from the very start that they have to put their hands in a certain position or else nothing comes out.
0: But what if but their fingers on the fingers other- are too small?
1: Yeah, there you go. So that was what I was going to say. okay, sorry. Yeah, if you have a student with small fingers, and that can obviously be very difficult for them. Um, I believe there is something on the market. It's like, excuse me, it's like a student instrument. Um, I don't know the brand, but I think there is something like that. I do get contacted because I I do kind of uh, what I would call custom work, fabricating keys and, you know, just odd stuff like that for certain people. I do get contacted every now and then about making let's say a right hand be a plateau system and that's because some of my um, customers are a little bit older and some of them get arthritis so that's another good use for it but in order to convert their existing clarinet to that it's very very expensive so I haven't actually had anyone follow through but you're talking you know, between $500 and $1,000, so, mm. as you say, it would be really nice if something, you know, at least in, in something other than a beginner clarinet, it would be nice if something was on the market like that.
0: Well, you know, there, there's a practical use for those kind of modifications, and that's the next thing I wanted to talk about, actually, was this aspect of your business. Um, I once had a student who had um, uh, some sort of nerve problem in one of his fingers from an injury, and he couldn't feel if he was closing the hole or not. So unfortunately, I you know that was not an option for him to, to customize his instrument. So he ended up having to switch to saxophone, which which he wasn't as fond of, but it, it worked better for him. But you guys uh. offer all sorts of customizations there, including um, extensions of the range of a normal B flat and A clarinet down to low E flat, uh, Basset extensions, um, extensions for bass clarinets. How much demand is there for this stuff? And, and it seems so, it seems kind of esoteric. Like, Why would someone want their A clarinet to go down to an E flat? (laughs) Uh, Well, of course on the A
1: clarinet, uh, the Mozart concerto was was written with that extended range and the version that most of us play is really just transposed up on some of the lower notes. So there is that. I am not asked to uh, do these type of things very often. In fact, Mm. I've only made about two bass clarinet extensions ever but i started out a couple of years ago with with one of my longtime customers asking me to do it and um i said sure i'll give it a try so it took quite a long time i had to kind of modify a lot of my equipment in order to do it but i kind of treated it as a learning experience and um that allowed me to custom make keys you know experiment around with uh the wood and tone hole placement and things like that so you know Although I don't get a lot of demand for it, it is something kind of interesting. Um and in regards to like the A clarinet basset extension, um I've kind of actually stopped doing that recently because mm. I don't have the time to really make it as good as I think it should be. Um and so I've kind of pulled back on that, but in terms of the bass clarinet extensions, what I'm looking to do in the future is maybe have some sort of um, I would say standardized product, or at least mostly standardized, and then we adapt a few various things to make it work on their clarinet. Um, but that's something I'm looking to kind of do more of a, um, a more of an assembly line process in order to get the cost down a little bit. Because right now it is, a, it is very expensive uh, to do something like that, but some of my customers have a lot of sentimental value in their older bass clarinets and they want the extended range. And so I say, sure, I mean, I'm willing to do it if, if they understand that you know, it's, it's gonna cost X amount and it may or may not be worth it if they go to resell it. But a lot of these people want their clarinets to be great and they have sentimental value to them. And so they, it, it doesn't matter about the cost to them. They just want that, that extended range.
0: So We might be kind of geeking out here for a second, but so let's just think about this. So <laughs> the B flat clarinet, then I could see potentially the low E flat. I mean, that would allow you to play all the notes from an A clarinet without um, actually needing an A clarinet. But what's the cost like? I mean, it must be getting a custom design bottom piece that's removable must be rather um, prohibitive, no?
1: Well, if if we're just talking about adding one note to the instrument, so if we went to a low E flat for your for your let's say your B flat clarinet, um, it probably I'm looking at my website right now because I it's, I get it uh, asked this so seldom it is five ninety nine to do it because it's basically you're adding a little piece of wood to your clarinet between the bell and the lower joint, and mm. then you're having me make one key so and a post and of course. Do some drilling and things like that. So, that is somewhat invasive and somewhat extensive, but it's not a crazy cost or anything like that. Now, the the bass clarinet extension that is over three thousand. Uh, it's thirty one fifty is what I charge for it. So that is a lot more. But of course, bass clarinets um, are more expensive, and you know they have a lot more key work. They're more expensive to maintain just overall. I would
0: say. And are most of the extensions you make, they're all removable? Or I the, prefer to have
1: them permanent. Mm. Um, now, they are removable if you take some screws out and things like that. But the thing you encounter when you make it removable is you have to make twice the amount of keys because you have to have little bridge keys going between the removable part and the, and, and the lower joint of your instrument. So by having it more permanent and just screwed together, um, I can eliminate half the keys. So I can just have one key that spans uh the joint of the of the extension and the lower
0: joint so you also manufacture of course uh, we mentioned the bells and uh the barrel products and i'm interested you said that at some point you just sort of got a cnc machine but but how did this transition from from starting to work on clarinets to to actually making these sort of parts for them was it sort of a natural progression i mean someone comes in with a broken barrel and needs a new one or how does that get started
1: Yeah, that's exactly how I started. It was a natural progression. Um, Coming out of the overhaul side of it, where I wanted to really get people's clarinet to play the very best that it could, I figured the next best thing was to do a barrel, which obviously can make a huge difference in how the clarinet sounds. And um, that was actually, you know, it's still somewhat difficult to do in terms of producing the right dimensions and design and things like that. But of all the parts, that's the easiest one to do. So that's the one I started with. Um, I, for years, had a manual machine, which, you know, I just did everything kind of by hand very precisely, but it's still hand operated. And that kind of grew into wanting to do things more accurately and more consistently. And so I did purchase a CNC lathe, which, um, for those of you who don't know what that is, it basically will spin a part. It's kind of like a, um, let's say, a cordless drill, except bigger. So you would put the barrel in, let's say, the chuck of the cordless drill and spin it, and then you have various tools which come in and, um, I guess, remove material in a circular pattern. So that's how it started, just trying to do things for my customers to get their instrument to play better. And when I purchased the, the CNC machine, I kind of saw a market where... A lot of the the barrel makers around the country don't really have access to this type of equipment and also in my own shop I was using it quite a bit but it also sat idle quite a bit so I thought well I could be using this machine to make products that people want to make and they want to make more consistently through my process than they could perhaps do on their own equipment so I started asking uh, barrel makers around the country um, if I could make parts for them and it it started out with barrels and then it kind of went from there and we make now all kinds of things so we make um, uh, in addition to barrels tuning rings um, let's see uh, CNC mouthpieces we make those on our on our mill and our lathe um, and you know just all kinds of neat neat things for people we even make uh, wooden ligatures and now we're getting started on a reed machine actually. So Wow. It's pretty pretty interesting how things have gone.
0: And it's going so well that you actually don't just manufacture your own products, you handle manufacturing for for other companies. How did that get started? Right.
1: So, um, these are the, the people around the country that I was just referring to. So, um, that I strictly called up people and asked, um, a lot of the people didn't have the capacity and they wanted to come out with, let's say their own barrel. Mm -hmm. Um, but they didn't have the equipment. Some, some of these people are, are big names in the industry, but they, they didn't have a line of barrels. Let's say they just had, uh, mouthpieces. So, um, for instance, Walter Grabner, someone who I, I just started working with recently. And, you know, of course he's very well known in the clarinet industry and he has his mouthpieces, but he didn't have a line of barrels because he didn't have the equipment to produce it. So, um, I offered that to him and, and, uh, you know, he said, sure. So basically we take what he wants to do, um, in terms of what kind of sound he wants to do. And, and he does something kind of interesting, which is keeping the same barrel for B flat and a, so just having one that kind of, yeah. So we designed it in a way that it kind of bridges the gap and works for both as opposed to some of the other people we work with. They have specifically an a barrel and specifically a B flat barrel, which is also what I do. Um, So that's kind of how it, how it, uh, how it grew. I mean, it was basically just me calling up people and asking and, and, uh, people in the back of their mind, I suppose, always had something that they wanted to do. And I find that that's the most enjoyable part of my day is not only designing and making things that, that perhaps have never been made before. Um, but also, you know, satisfying not only my customer, the let's say the barrel maker, but also their customers as well. So it's it's something that is really interesting to me.
0: So one of the most interesting and unique collaborations I think you've got going, which I don't know if there's anything else in the industry like this, is uh, your, your collaboration with Chris Bathgate. And it's kind of a, you call it an industrial themed barrel. And uh, is this an aluminum shell? I'm holding one right now. I've had the chance to try <laughs> it. It's like a metal outer layer and then inside it comes in either wood or delrin this thing's got some weight to it and what's really interesting for listeners is like well first of all it looks incredibly cool it's kind of got inlaid black um sections and sort of a, a polished exterior um on the aluminum here but this guy's art sells for thousands and thousands of dollars so how did this get going well, I had
1: seen his art on the Internet, and that's just something that I was like, wow, this is really cool. I've got to meet this guy. So um, I I took the whole shop up to, to see his shop, and uh, we met I think about – two years ago or so and you know I, I saw all his equipment and what he could do and i was i was really really impressed and his artwork is just amazing and it some of it sells for ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars because there's so much work involved um for your listeners um you should definitely check him out it's uh he has some amazing stuff out there and um he has a lot of images on his website as well so while we were at his shop, I kind of um, popped the question, would you like to work on something together? And it's interesting because he kind of has this philosophy of art that you don't make something that is actually functional, which is, might sound weird, but um, because the clarinet has a long history of, I guess, artistry and, you know, at least in like the flute world, there's all kinds of like decorative things, um, decorative artwork, and there's some flutes that, I don't know. I've seen one that has like a forest theme, even. Um, so there's some some interesting artwork that that can go into musical instruments. So he agreed to actually work on something together. So I said, well, uh, right now I'm I'm just producing barrels, and so can you maybe come up with something that would make this barrel look more industrial or w- whatever you want. I I kind of gave him free rein and said, do whatever you want, and you know, let's do ten of them and. And, uh, so he came up with, um, basically what it is is an, an aluminum sleeve. So that means that it's our barrel on the inside. So we just make our standard barrel. Um, and then instead of having like an exterior taper, um, as, as you'll normally see, we do, we turn it down to a certain dimension that's much smaller. So it's just a little bit bigger than the sockets. And so, then we actually put the sleeve and glue it over top of the regular barrel. So it does give it a little more weight. Um, it doesn't really affect the sound very much. Um, in fact, you know, some of them can sound better than just the standard barrels. It just depends on which clarinet you match it up with. But of course, the cool thing is they just look awesome, you know, <laughs> and they they really catch people's eye. And I think I think the the coolest thing for us has been, you know we haven't sold a ton of them because they're $249 they're a little more expensive than our standard barrels But the coolest thing is it just draws all kinds of people over to us at events that everyone wants to know. What is that? How's that made? You know what why? <laughs> so yeah, it's um, it's just been a really cool experience um, working
0: with him and and uh, you know having him, him design those for us Well, you know one of my favorite things is I've been trying this over the last few months here is uh, to take it to schools when I do clinics. The kids, they, their eyes bug out, and they're like, wow, look how cool that is. You know, like, <laughs> wow, can I see that? And, and uh, you know, I actually tried this at Clarinet Fest with Eric Salazar, who was a guest on episode eight, and um, he he loved it. I don't know if he's gotten in touch to, to consider one, but... Um, we both found, and, and maybe this was just a placebo effect based on what you just said, but when I compared this one, which is the Delrin version, to the other Delrin barrel I've been trying out here from you, it seemed much louder, much more present. Um, I, I imagine it's perfect for people in marching band, perhaps except for the weight, but, but it's incredibly loud and, and full sounding. Is that, uh, do you think that's caused by the extra density of the metal, or is that just a placebo effect?
1: You know, I think that might be that you just found the right barrel for your instrument Um, because I've actually experimented with doing all aluminum barrels. And I've found that when they do have a lot of mass like that, they don't play that well, believe it or not. Um, The way I got them to play well is to actually reduce the mass and, and make them really skinny. And so I haven't actually come out with one or anything like that because they kind of look a little ridiculous, but, uh, (laughs) it was, it was nice to just experiment around and see, um, acoustic wise, what happens when we make a barrel out of something different. So I would say that, you know, you just found the right barrel for, for your instrument. And, um, you know, some, uh, some other player could put that that barrel on their clarinet and they might experience the opposite results. Hmm. I find that, um, the barrel is really matched to the clarinet and not so much the player. Um, one of the the services that I offer a lot of times, um, when someone gets an overhaul, they have their clarinet in the shop, I'm all finished. And I do kind of like a hand selection for the barrels actually. So I'll go through all my barrels and pick the very best one, but it's always, it's always a different one. You know, I'll have like a runner up, let's say, but the next time that same runner up is not the one I'll choose for another instrument. So it really depends on the instrument and not necessarily the player with um, with how the, the, the barrel
0: affects the sound. So what goes into designing a great barrel then? I mean, there's all this talk about like the reverse tapered bore, um, the different materials. I mean, and why is it that the barrel is always the part that people are sort of chasing down the the golden barrel or whatever? (laughs) Well, what goes into it, um,
1: what, what we did is we kind of started out with, uh, let's say like a standard buffet barrel in terms of the socket size, because that's what we're hoping to match most of these barrels up with. Of course they do work on other clarinets, but it's, it's mostly, we put them with buffet clarinets. So in terms of socket size, we started at that point. Then we did some experiments with, with the sockets to see, well, does that make a difference at all? Um, it does make a difference, but I won't get into it too much because, uh, it might be kind of proprietary, I'd say, but (laughs) (laughs) in terms of, of the bore, um, we, we use a reverse taper bore and we've experimented with the CNC machine. It, It allows us um, to experiment around with different tapers and different shapes and all all kinds of things like that. So that was just really just a, a process of trial and error to to find the one that we like the best. Um, we ended up with going back to what is kind of the standard for most barrels, and that's just a a standard, what's called a ten thousand reverse taper, which means it's 10,000 bigger on the top than on the bottom. So we did do a lot of experimentation, but it ended up being that, you know, what everyone else was doing, it seems like that is what played very well for us.
0: So at the manufacturing level, then, why don't they just come out with barrels that work better for the instruments? It seems odd that this part is always upgraded for people, or is it just an element of personalization like the mouthpiece?
1: Well, yeah, to, to get back to your question a few minutes ago that I, uh, didn't address the, um, (laughs) the, I think the, the reason people seek out a barrel is because I think it's the easiest thing to swap out. It's, and it's also the cheapest. Um, you wouldn't necessarily want to swap out your upper, upper or lower joint, although you could. Um, so those certainly aren't options, but I think the, besides the mouthpiece, the barrel is, uh, the easiest thing to do. And, um, you know, I think once people get a good mouthpiece, um, they they probably, at least in my experience, want to stay with that mouthpiece and try to get the clarinet the best that it can be and leave the mouthpiece. Because the mouthpiece is kind of tailored more to the player mm-hmm. than the actual actual instrument. So at least in my experience, a lot of my customers um they do try out different mouthpieces but i would say they're much more willing to try out barrels and there is also a lot more selection in terms of barrels so um there's lots of companies out there that, that have them produce them um in terms of bells that would be let's say my next thing that that most people would upgrade and the next thing i'd recommend upgrading um Even those, uh, there aren't too many bell makers out there. Um, there's maybe three or four. And even if you were to go to buffet and you want to try just some stock bells, that's really not even an option. They match the bells up to the clarinets. That's pretty much how, how they stay, you know? So, Mm -hmm. um, what I'm hoping to do, you know, as I prototype these these bells more and more, because I think you, you have one of my bells right now, uh, the one you have is more or less a prototype. And so we're still kind of trying to refine uh, the sound and our process and things like that. Um, but one of these days, um, let's say even if it was exactly the same as the stock bell, which it's not going to be, but let's just say it would be it would be really beneficial to, to have a selection of bells for people to try because that's just not something that's, that's
0: re- readily available. Mm-hmm. So, a lot of your products come in um, this Delrin material and it's something I'm a little bit unfamiliar with. What's it like to work with compared to, to wood and what are the benefits or differences for the customer?
1: I love working with it. Um, Delrin, for those of you who don't know, is a dense composite material. I don't like to call it a plastic, even though it is, but that denotes kind of a negative stereotype. Um, The Delrin barrels that I produce are professional quality. They're exactly the same in dimension and uh, playability as the wood clarinets, or excuse me, the wood barrels. Um, so I would say again, going back to what I was telling you about finding the best barrel for your clarinet that matches and harmonizes with it. It's the same thing with wood and Delrin. Now I would say if I'm trying barrels, I'm personally going to like, just because of the sound in my ear, I like wooden barrels a little bit better for most clarinets, but then there's also clarinets now and then that the Delrin will actually play better. And by better, I mean more resonant, easier to play. Um, the tuning is pretty much the same between the two um, and at least with uh, with my barrels what they tend to do is bring everything a little bit closer to being in tune so if you kind of plotted out the tuning on let's say a graph you know the the stock barrel would be a bit jagged and our barrel would be a little bit smoother let's
0: just say you actually do have that chart on your website I should maybe share it in the show notes here <laughs> I do <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it there yeah <laughs> Yeah, no, I think you've got a really fantastic selection of products and uh, I think you're, you know, whether or not people even know it, they're, they're sometimes playing a barrel that has gone through your shop or, or uh, you know, made its way to the other brands as, as far as the manufacture goes. So you're just doing a ton of barrels and uh, products there. Is there anything else you'd like to add to uh, to our talk about your products before we move on?
1: Yeah, well, I just wanted to to mention in regards to that, um, as I said before, we're making barrels for Walter Grabner, but we also make barrels for Clark Phobes. Um, we're looking to work with a few other, uh, let's say, barrel makers as well. But, um, you know, those, those two guys really have kind of a, a big brand, I would say. And mm-hmm. um, so, a, as you said, a lot of the barrels you'll see out there, you may not realize it. We don't put our logo on it. We put their logo on it. But you know, a lot of the barrels that are produced nowadays, uh, nowadays are actually produced by us.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, congratulations on the success with all this. It's, Thanks. It's really fantastic. So you've been very generous today with the giveaway on the on the podcast. Um, there's going to be two lucky winners. One is going to be winning a uh, standard wood barrel, length 67, and um, this would be a perfect pair for someone who plays on a high-pitched mouthpiece, for example, or if you're ever in a condition where it's a little bit warmer, because of course the standard length is, is 66. I also have a fantastic Delrin barrel, in a 66th length so there's going to be two giveaways on this episode if you want a chance to win those items just go to www.clarney.com and enter your email address in the subscription box and that'll give you a chance to win not only these but all items mentioned on the podcast west do you have anything to say to the person who wins these products
1: uh just i'm happy that uh something that i produced uh could fit on your clarinet and, and make you sound better. So I hope you like it. Thanks.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. That must be very rewarding to, to produce things that are increasing people's, um, you know, playing experience.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I get so much enjoyment when someone comes to the shop and they maybe didn't even realize that some of this stuff existed or that it can make that big of a difference, but it's, it's just, um, it's really cool when someone leaves the shop with a barrel and it's just as simple as putting that thing on that makes them sound a whole lot better
0: so where can people find you online you've got a website you got twitter do you have facebook or anything else like that uh... i don't have
1: twitter although i have a login i don't use it um, we are on facebook so we do a lot of um... you know some updates of kind of what we're doing on there uh... the website is clarinetworks.com Um so and my email is Wes at ClarinetWorks.com also. So anyone who has any questions whatsoever, I'm always happy to to answer any questions. So feel free to, to contact me if you like.
0: So I'll go ahead and put all those up in the show notes there. And thanks so much, Wes, for coming on the podcast today. We had just a fantastic conversation. And I know I learned a lot about clarinet repair and how this, this barrel manufacturer works. And uh, I wish you well with your business. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Clarinet Podcast. If you'd like the chance to win items mentioned on the show, please be sure to head to www.clarinet.com and subscribe with your email address to our mailing list. You'll also receive free content updates, coupons, and more directly to your inbox. If you're enjoying the show, please consider subscribing and leaving a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you happen to listen. If you'd like to support the show directly, you can purchase your new and neat clarinet items at the Clarinet online store at clarineet.com slash store, or you can become a backer on Patreon at clarineet.com slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Today's episode was brought to you by our sponsor, Didario Woodwinds. Sanding, shaping, balancing. For centuries, mastering your instrument meant mastering these crafts too. But now, Didario is refining craftsmanship for the 21st century by refining their reeds and mouthpieces with the world's most innovative techniques so you can spend less time sanding, shaping, and balancing, and more time perfecting your own craft. To learn more about the new era of craftsmanship from Didario Woodwinds, visit didariocom woodwinds.